Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast. My guest today is Kate McGone, a sales leader in leveraging IoT data and insights for technology firms like Uptake and Jamalto, working in the transportation and logistics market. And I had the pleasure of meeting Kate at a Chicago sales leaders event. Uh, we were at a table with the millennium seller, not too much younger than Kate, and I listened to her share wisdom well beyond her years. And I wanted to have her share some of these important lessons with you today. And here she is. Welcome, Kate McGone. Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. Thanks so much. So I love origin stories. Um, so first, tell me how you got your start in sales. Well, it's actually a funny story. I started selling pre-inked rubber stamps door to door to different businesses while I was still in high school, my oh senior my year. It, it was interesting because my mom was doing this at the time and she was killing it. And I, of course, was working the typical minimum wage job that most high school students are working, mm -hmm. trying to earn some extra cash. And she thought that that would definitely be an interesting way for me to earn more than that minimum wage job. Man, so you started selling long before any of us thought about it. I was a, I was a pizza guy. I made pizzas and delivered pizzas as every good Italian boy should do. And there you were out selling uh, door to door. And it was uh, pre-inked stamps, correct? That's correct. Pre-inked rubber stamps. <laughs> awesome. And uh, were you successful at it? I was fairly successful. It was it was commission only, and it was my first sales job. And I might not have had the temperament for it at the time, but I had really amazingly successful days and days that were not so great. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like you were inspired by your mom to kind of get into this. Tell me a little bit about that. Was she your inspiration to getting into sales? She was. Uh, she was the type of person who could sell anything to anybody, talk to anybody, and she just had this presence about her uh, that made her very successful in everything that she did. Awesome. So from selling these self-thinking stamps to today, um, you're now a successful sales leader at the intersection of some pretty complex stuff, IoT, data, and insights. Um, tell us about that. Well, it's, it's really interesting because a few years ago, I was actually selling the enablements to data. I was selling cellular connectivity modems. And now I am on the other side of that, eating my own dog food, if you will, um, actually doing something with all of that data that I was helping to generate. Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty cool stuff, looking at what type of predictions we can make about how fleets might fail before they fail so that companies can plan the downtime of those fleets and increase their overall productivity. Awesome. And you're selling with value right away. So I, I love it. It's Absolutely. near and dear to my heart. And, you know, that's sometimes difficult when you're selling data and you're selling insights, um, especially as technical as it is. Um, you can get wrapped around the axle with all of the features and functions of the technology itself, but it, it's really refreshing to hear you jump right to a value proposition, um, downtime being one of them, where you can use the insights for that. So it sounds like you just naturally kind of align to the value the solution delivers. Absolutely. It's, it's one after my own heart. I personally am a planner. I feel that everything can be done just a little bit better if you can plan in advance. Um, 
when things are going to happen. And I think that we're really allowing for that for our customers. And it's very interesting because you can start doing a whole bunch of other things like bundling those events together and just making sure that you're saving money on, on this item that costs so much for most fleet companies. Yeah, It's and really a wonderful value sale. As you're out there day to day, so you're selling the data, um, technology, the, the insights, what's the biggest challenge you're facing? What changes have you seen and, and how are you challenged the most in your day to day? I would say that buyers are increasingly more informed than they ever have been. And there's so much information out there and not all of it is correct. And so they become a little bit more disinterested in what you have to say right away because they already feel like they have these preconceived notions. So you have a short period of time to really convince them or change the perspective that's already in their mind. Um, and additionally, you just want to make sure that you're not creating more noise and you're adding an additional value to that because without that, they just don't want to talk to everybody. Nobody has the time yeah. anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I just wrote an article about this and Gartner published some great research around the crisis of confidence and uh, what they call uh, kind of overchoice and overload. Um, so on the overload side, they've got too much information to wade through. And then over choice, there's so much content and information being thrown at them that they're kind of frozen in place, like you said. And um, as a good sales rep, I think we've got to find a way to connect with them and, and distill out all of that noise and become that strong signal through it. But that's that's easier said than done. So how, how are some of the ways that you try to to break through to connect and engage first and then ultimately um, how do you become that signal that they listen to out of all of that noise they're getting self-service and from other sellers? Well I, I think the major thing that every salesperson needs to do is establish trust and you establish trust by understanding what their business model is, understanding how your product fits into their business model. So you're not just informing them of what your product does, you're informing them and educating them on how it not only fits into their business models, but what other types of strategies it might enable them to do over time and how it might add additional value to their business. Once you understand somebody on that level and you can speak to it and how you actually add that value, then you become a different type of signal than the rest of everything that is coming at them. Awesome. So it sounds like discovery is a big piece of, of what you do first um, to make sure you understand those business problems. And then it, it sounds like a heck of a lot of teaching and collaboration with them after that. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So I, I know when we met, uh, I like to use a whiteboard when doing that kind of exercise with customers. and you've got a really interesting way that you use the whiteboard to collaborate. Can you tell us about that? I, I thought it was quite novel. I, I, I often just get up as an analyst and I'm at the whiteboard and I'm kind of pedaling away and drawing my pictures and stuff, but you've got a, a interesting thing that you do in almost every call. Yes, it's, it's kind of funny because most of my clients who have known me for for some time, they, they start to expect this. So <laughs> I, I love getting out of my chair, first of all, because people are, are used to people sitting around a conference room and you're showing slides, or maybe you're standing up there talking to the particular slides. And let's face it, nobody really likes to watch slides. So I love grabbing a marker, going up to the whiteboard, 
explaining the concepts on the whiteboard and then taking it a step further, explaining how I think the products will fit together, what we're offering them, either a product or a service, into what their business model looks like, into their products, how that might look for their customers. So everything I was just mentioning about how to be that, that beacon uh, reaching out from the noise of all of the other bits of information that are coming through, but spelling that out. So they're instantaneously more attentive because you're sitting there drawing it in front of them. And then I love picking up markers, handing it to them and saying, okay, how would you, how would you change this? What would you do differently? Yeah. And I love that part of it. Um, typically I'll, I'll be up there too long and I love the aspect of you giving them the markers and kind of forcing them to. So you've helped to establish a way to reimagine, but now you're getting them to collaboratively reimagine their business right along with you. And I think that's just a great way to break through, gain trust and to get them engaged and involved. And um, I know some people are probably more comfortable than others in drawing and getting up there to the whiteboard, but um, I would imagine that that just, um, a, they can't sit back, right? They now have to be involved and engaged and you've broken through an incredible barrier by doing that. Yeah, you become a part of their team. You're co-creating with them. You're helping them to define what their strategy looks like. It's a very powerful thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I know at, at um, when we first met, we were at the dinner and um, I like to share my worst selling experience that I ever had, uh, which involved uh, being late for a meeting, a, uh, a business suit and gasoline, all three of those combined, <laughs> um, which is not a good recipe for anything, all right? Um, it didn't involve fire though, which was good, but yours was um, equally um, disconcerting and um, something that I know that you've struggled with, not, not only this one time that you spoke about, but, but a few times. So I wanna know about and share with the audience a little bit more about your worst selling experience. Absolutely. Uh, so I was at a trade show like many other trade shows before it. We had meeting rooms in our booth and we were inviting our target customers into the meeting room to meet with our teams and have conversations about our products and, and what we were doing. Very mm -hmm. typical trade show. Mm -hmm. I had one particular potential customer. Uh, it was actually the CTO of this company. And he came in and we had uh, three other men from my team uh, who were a product manager and two field application engineers. More to give him the sense that the company was behind this discussion and we really wanted their business. Mm -hmm. But noti notably, all of them were men. I was the only female in the room. And while I was giving this presentation, the CTO had a very interesting behavior. He would put his hand up, almost like he was stopping traffic, and stop the presentation, physically turn around, look at the people behind him, my three male colleagues, and ask them the questions. And then he would look back at me and tell me I could continue with my presentation. But what people think might have happened here was that my colleagues answered the questions but in fact, that's not the case. <laughs> you would look at them, ask them the questions, and I would interrupt um, and say, I, I have the answer for you. And I would respond to him with the answers. Now, this happened repeatedly 
including a dismissing wave. Okay, go ahead with your presentation. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and the interesting thing was that my colleagues were getting visibly aggravated by this because they knew that these were all questions I could answer, but this CTO was not giving me the opportunity to answer sure. them or even the expectation that I would be able to. So it was, it felt very dismissive. And so what I, what I did is every time I would answer the question, I would add some additional information than what he was looking for, why it was strategically important to his business, why he should choose um, a different solution over the particular feature that he was looking for. So really adding additional value over and above what he was actually asking about. It got so bad at one point that some of my colleagues would just point to me every time he asked a question because <laughs> they didn't want to interrupt this flow and and they didn't want to encourage the behavior of him continually physically turning around from me, facing his back to me and having uh, them uh, be the focus of his of his question asking. Yeah, I knew it wasn't about me. It, yeah, it was yeah. some preconceived notion, but you just had to carry on. Absolutely. And so you ran into um, the neuroscience of tribe is what is what happened. And you're right. It's not necessarily, you know, it was nothing that you were doing, but it was just, um, you know, a bias that he came to the meeting with. And, you know, it, we we like for those not to exist, but gender bias, uh, age bias, uh, race bias, unfortunately, are, are part of doing business out there. And it sounds like you ran right into it. Um, you know, people are want to do business with people that are part of their tribe, first and foremost. And you spoke about the importance of trust. And when you're, um, you know, when you don't have perhaps the same race and ethnicity, gender, uh, age, status as the person you're meeting with, there are a number of factors that kind of define whether you're in that person's tribe or not. You have to overcome that and you have to break through. And um, it sounds like your persistence, I think, eventually wore the gentleman down. <laughs> <laughs> My persistence and I think adding that additional value with every answer. So it wasn't just a yes, no, or, you know, yes, the specific feature. It was here's and here's why. Yeah. Yeah, and it is something that's very hard to overcome because it's part of our primitive uh, brain, really the middle part of the brain. And um, it's not something that you're always conscious of if you are the person that is kind of keeping someone outside of your tribe or the opposite, letting them in. So it's really important to um, connect. And, you know, there's a couple of tricks that I know are um, neuroscience hacks that you can use to, to kind of help overcome that. Um, one of them that I've heard is uh, hugging, like hugging it out with someone right away. Although that has its issues too, because you know there aren't you know there's a lot of folks that aren't huggers out there. So, and I'm a hugger, so I tend to warn people when I do. It's like, oh, I'm a hugger. Let me give you a hug. Um, so that's one way I try to overcome it. Um, eye contact is another. Um, you can sit on the same side of the table so that there's kind of a spatial. Um, recognition that you're on on that same side. Um, your whiteboarding technique of collaborating with people and collaborating in a group is there too. And then um, the other thing is just actions speak louder than words. And if you're authentic and they can see 
that you're not pitching, that you're just being yourself and being true and being persistent like you were, that can sometimes break through. So those are the ones that I use, but are there any other recommendations you have for others that might be faced with the gender bias or an age bias or other kind of tribal bias? I would honestly say just be consistent and authentic. And that usually, usually helps break through the those barriers. If you're if you're adding value, they will see that. If you're being authentic to who you are, they'll be more likely to trust you. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it does come down to that authenticity and trust, and um, just working hard to break through it, um, and not being insulted by it, and and understanding. I think that you did that. It was not. Um, it wasn't you, and uh, you just had to overcome that challenge. One of the other things I found that was interesting in, in your background is that, you know, I know you got a start really early in sales in high school, but that's not exactly what you went to school for. I, I went for a technical degree. I was more on the technical side and my first sales job was in real estate. I got my engineering degree and on the weekends I was a realtor and that was a, a huge um, education for me, but completely outside of, of my degree. Um, you started in sales in high school and then moved to what in university? I was studying German and international business. Okay. <laughs> so not too, too far afield, but um, you know, there aren't that many sales degrees out there. So uh, in fact, universities are now finally starting to offer them. But how did that help? Did it, mm -hmm. did it, you think it helped in terms of your, your background and your ability to sell? And do you leverage it at all in, in business today? Yes, I do, actually. Um, I would say less on the international business side, although the basic business skills are, of course, very important to selling with the business acumen. But even more important for selling, I think, was studying German. <laughs> and I know that that sounds funny, but let me explain. And yeah. I, I think this applies to any language, really. And I, I've learned a few more or parts of a few more, more since. But in almost any study of a language, you're really learning more about their people. You're mm -hmm. learning more about their culture. Language is a way that people express themselves. It's what informs the world about a people or a person and what their thoughts are. I mean, if you just think about everything that's expressed through language, it's immense. And it's something that's a living entity and grows with people and grows with time. And even slang can tell you so much about the mindset of a particular generation. And so much of selling is really about people mm -hmm. and understanding who they are and why they do the things they do, read into that why they, why they buy. Yep. And I can't think of a better way to actually deep dive into the understanding of people and how they work by actually looking at other cultures and how they tick and doing it as an insider by speaking their language. That's, that's awesome. And obviously, language is the way we've got to communicate and connect with buyers. So that's important. And German is uh, it, to me has always been a, a language rooted in engineering, right? It's very descriptive and very technical, at least from an outside in perspective. Um, it, do you see the same thing and did that help you in terms of some of the technical things that you're now selling to have that kind of a, a background? It's definitely a possibility. Uh, when I was actually in university learning German, I used to deconstruct 
German for people who were just starting to learn it because I, I had started in high school mm -hmm. and I started to deconstruct it from a math perspective. So I was yeah. tutoring some people who were actually, you know, engineering students, math students, and I started to deconstruct the composition of the language in ways that they could understand. So like algebraic form formulas. So I would say, yes, in a way, there's definitely some helpfulness there from the German specifically, just because it is so uh, formed of a language. It has a lot of rules and those rules make a lot of sense. Once you learn them, it's, it's easy to move forward. Awesome. And, um, you know, when, when we met, we were seated at the table I mentioned with, with some millennials and, you know, they were amazed at some of the techniques that you were telling them you used and were really, um, you know, sponging it up because they, they were desperately in need of uh, education. A lot of big selling programs like what was it, what were at Xerox, what was at GE, uh, what was at IBM, those university almost level programs that they had where you would learn and train for a year, those have gone away in a lot of ways. And, and a lot of millennials that are out there becoming sellers for the first time are struggling because they don't have those training programs. A lot of them are coming at it with a marketing degree or a finance degree or other type of degrees that aren't related to selling. Um, if you had one piece of advice to give to a millennial seller, so taking us back to that dinner and sitting across the millennials, if there's one thing you could leave them with, what, what would that be? Always be prepared. And by that, I mean, you should know your customer before you walk into the door, especially with your large target customers. If you haven't already read their website cover to cover and their annual report, you're walking in at a disadvantage and you're just going to be that, as we talked about, all of those different people filtering into that noise that's coming at these these executives over time, the way to distinguish yourself is to show that you cared enough to do your research about the company, ask questions to clarify your understanding, and talk about opportunities in their business that they may have missed. Now, they might have already have done it, but they will definitely appreciate the fact that you, A, did your research, and B, were thinking about how to make their business better. Yep, and it, you made it all about them at that moment, instead of if you're walking in unprepared, well, you are prepared because you're ready to talk about your solution. And unfortunately, that's what so many do right off the bat because they're comfortable with it because mm -hmm. they didn't do their homework. So I completely agree with you. I think that value added preparation ahead of the meeting and having an idea of at least how your solutions tie to solve their problems and having a kind of pre-identified their problems is important. And then having a dialogue about that before you go and do your pitch to uh, confirm your discovery and, um, and illuminate it and inform it even more, I think is vital. So prepare, prepare, prepare. Um, the young seller would be wise to listen to uh, Kate and her advice. Kate, how can folks reach you, reach out to you and, uh, and reach you online? Well, LinkedIn is probably the best way to find me online. I love getting messages from people, so please don't hesitate to add a message also so I know how you heard of me, and I'd love to chat if anybody has any further questions or comments. Awesome, and we will include a link to Kate's LinkedIn in the meeting notes. Kate, thank you so much. It was so informative. I love hearing all the stories of your selling success and uh, challenges, and uh, I certainly learned a lot, and I think the audience did as well. Thank you so much again.
Um, for having me.